as we think of some of the issues that are involved in our own lives and in our children's lives regarding creation, that we would be motivated and be encouraged to spread the praise of your glory. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Sleeping? Could you get me that little thing there? I have too, more, too much paper for my little pulpit. Thank you. Let's go back to 104, Psalm 104, that Bill read. Thank you, Bill. <clears throat> the whole psalm would have been worthy of being read this morning. It just was too much. You can um, peruse through that on your own, starting in the very beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. Starts out there and then it ends um, with this verse, with these several verses, 33, 34. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. And then he concludes with this, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. And we've spent a good portion this morning in beautiful singing to the praise and glory of God. That's what it says. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. That's followed a whole chapter on the majesty and the wonder of God's creation. By the way, um, this little video that we just saw at the beginning of it, Patty and I have enough copies for every family in here for that. And they'll be on the back <clears throat> when you leave the church this morning. If you haven't, we've given them to some. But if you haven't, if you don't have that, uh, there's enough for each family to have them. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, depiction of the glory of God in his creation. Um, how many of you are watching Jeopardy and following the young man who is... Uh, up to 1.2 million or 1.3 million, huh? Huh? Is that exciting? I don't know if you're Jeopardy fans. My wife is, and I'm not particularly a Jeopardy fan because I never can answer any of the questions. But uh, I've gotten interested since this, since this young man is um, doing so well. And when he will stop, nobody knows. But we're going to play a little Jeopardy this morning, just, just one little piece of Jeopardy, okay? You know the rules to Jeopardy. I give the answer, and if it's a person, you say, uh, what? Who is, okay? If it's a place or thing, you say, where, yeah, whatever. But it's a person this morning. The question is a person. So we won't go into that. Okay. So you have your button. Okay. Well, we won't do a button. We'll just fire up your hand. Okay. And... Um, We'll just see. Now, you're not even going to have to answer the, well, okay. I am going to give you the question. Are you ready? Get ready to shoot up your hand if you know the answer. Who invented the telephone? 
Okay, okay. Alexander Graham Bell? Not really. One of the great thefts in American history. It really is. Let me read this to you. Alexander Graham Bell is largely credited for inventing the telephone after he secured the patent in 1876. But in 2002, the U.S. Congress declared that the real inventor was actually the poor Italian inventor, Antonio Meucci. Meucci. Sixteen years before Bell's patent, Meucci had successfully demonstrated his tele, let's see, telerofono, telerofono for the Italian-American press in New York. Meucci sent his invention to the Western Union Telegraph Company in 1872 in an attempt to bring his telephone to market. But when no action was taken and he asked for his prototype back two years later, Western Union claimed to have lost it. Mr. Bell, who had shared a laboratory with Meucci, filed a patent for a telephone and made a lucrative deal with Western Union. Meucci sued Bell for fraud and appeared to be winning the case, but then he died, bringing an end to the court proceedings. It would be Pacific Meucci. <laughs> or if you're a Giants fan, it had been uh, Meucci Park, Pac Meucci Park, uh, which has now since changed. Is it, is it, isn't that sad? I mean, that's sad. Because with that invention came probably uh, a lot of money and fame and whatever. And that man's name is basically lost to us. A great theft in America. Well, we want to talk about a greater theft than that. I want to talk to you this morning about the theft of creation. Where to go? Where is it? Go to our school. Where is it? Go to the museum. Where is it? Go to the national park. Where is it? Who would want to steal creation? Uh-huh. I think I know. The great liar himself. He would like to steal creation. Now, he's done it in a number of ways. He, uh, Eastern mysticism thought has the reincarnation and the, the karma, more karma next time you get a little higher in the, in the chain and eventually you get somewhere that they say is not real anyway, but that's a, that's a whole other study. Greek mythology, you have the Greek gods fighting over, creating man, giving him fire, taking fire away from him, them fighting with each other and having jealousy over who, who created man. <clears throat> but in our Western culture, it was pretty much the big thief started with Darwin in 1859. And uh, so <laughs> I've been looking up some articles and just thinking about this and how, 
how important is this theme this morning? How important is the theme of these songs? Just, just how important is it? Is it something that's just, well, it's the way our culture is, and I guess we'll just have to put up with it? Or is it something we ought to be really motivated about? Praise to the glory of God. Well, looked up some articles, and um, I got one here by, it was out of National Geographic, which if you take it or know about it, you, you know that they're, they pretty more well promote uh, evolutionary theory. This is about a man that is going to the Dinosaur National Monument in Utah, and um, he says some things while he's there observing. He loves dinosaurs and all that. But why he's writing this article, wrote this little article, is because he's responding to uh, something that um, Stephen King said on National Public Radio. Here's what he quotes Stephen King as saying. He said, if you say, well, okay, I don't believe in God, there's no evidence of God, then you're missing the stars in the sky, and you're missing the sunrises and sunsets, and you're missing the fact that bees pollinate all these crops and keep us alive, and the way that everything seems to work together, everything is sort of built in a way that, to me, suggests intelligent design. Now, that's not the greatest theological explanation <laughs> statement about um, creation, but Stephen King said that, and this guy got all wild up about it. And he says, I don't care about Stephen King's views on the existence or non-existence of deities. That's very, very far down on my list of issues worth worrying about. Yes, it is, but it should be. <laughs> and he goes on to explain some of the why he's so excited about um, what, what, he, what he basically says is creationists and intelligent design people keep saying that if you, if, if you don't believe in that, then you're just in a world, accidental world going nowhere and you should be depressed and all that sort of thing. He says, I'm not depressed. I just love uh, this universe and this world, the, the way it's being formed. And here's what he says in this line. To repeat a line from my book, written in stone. We are creatures of time and chance. How wonderful is that, he says. Out of all the innumerable possibilities in the history of life on earth, a string of circumstances, billions of years long, transpired in such a way as to allow the origin of our species. He is excited about this. Time and chance. He goes on to quote Darwin, and I think we'll take the time to do that. Here's what Darwin has said. It is interesting to contemplate an entangled bank clothed with many plants of many kinds, with birds singing on the bushes, with various insects flitting about, with worms crawling through the damp earth, and to reflect that these elaborately constructed forms, so different from each other and dependent on each other, in so complex a manner have all been produced by laws acting <clears throat> excuse me, around us. These laws taken in the largest sense being, now he's going to list these laws for you, and if you don't quite follow it, it's okay, I didn't quite follow it either, but it's okay, being growth and reproduction, 
inheritance, which is almost implied by reproduction, variability from the indirect and direct action of external conditions of life, and from use and disuse, a ratio of increase so high as to lead to a struggle for life. And as a consequence to natural selection, entailing divergence of character and the extinction of some less improved forms, thus from the war of nature, from famine and death, the most exalted objects which we are capable of conceiving, namely the production of higher animals, directly follows. There is a grandeur in this view of life with its several powers. And, and here's a little line that he never could get over. He put this in there. Having been originally breathed into a few forms or into one. He couldn't quite bring himself to say that it all started by accident. He gave God a tip of his hat here. And that whilst the planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity from a simple to a so simple a beginning, endless forms, most beautiful and most wonderful, have been and are being evolved. Well, I don't think so. Time and chance. In spite of the things that we have learned in the years since Darwin, for instance, there doesn't seem to be any transitional forms. I was down at uh, um, Cottonwood Church, and they had one of the guys from um, creation down there, and he did the thing on dinosaurs. And then he quoted a fellow that's uh, not a Christian, uh, a scientist, who said, there are absolutely no transitional forms of dinosaurs. They just show up. Time, chance, adaptation, no record of it, no, no fossils of it, just a 200,000-pound dinosaur, one of them, showed up. Time and chance. One person has said that Darwin's theory of evolution is a theory in crisis. Darwin's theory of evolution is a theory in crisis in the light of the tremendous advances we've made in molecular biology, biochemistry, and genetics over the past 50 years. <clears throat> we now know that there, is, there are, in fact, tens of thousands of irreducibly complex systems. And that might be a word, irreducibly complex, okay? Systems on a cellular level. Specified complexity pervades the microscopic biology, biological world. Molecular biologist Michael Denton wrote, although the tiniest bacterial cells are incredibly small, weighing less than 10 to the minus 12 grams, each is in effect a vertebral micro-miniaturized micro factory containing thousands of exquisitely designed pieces of intricate molecular machinery. 
made up altogether of 100,000 million atoms. Far more complicated than any machinery built by man and absolutely without parallel in the non-living world. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. Um, there's the argument of, um, that is used in this um, irreducible flexibility of flagellum. And I won't go into all that. It's just, a, it's just it's that little thing that motivates, moves our cells around. Got a little wiggly tail. It's got 40 parts, or about 40 separate protein parts. And they all have to be there for it to function. And it's, it's, it's incredible. The rotations of his tail, um, 60,000, 100,000 times, uh, and then can reverse it and, and do all these intricate things. And so um, creationist and, uh, and intelligent design folks latch onto that and say, hey, how, how, can, how can you get a mutation that, that does this and a mutation that does that and does that? and eventually this thing works. Well, what happens in all that time? Well, it just it boggles your mind. But I, I, picked, <laughs> I picked up an article out of, off the internet from New Scientist where an evolutionist is defending the idea that these things could have evolved. And he said, um, there's a lot of different kinds of these little flagella. He says, either a designer created thousands of variants on the flagellum, or contrary to creationist claims, it is possible to make considerable changes to the machinery without mucking it up. No, not really. That's just, just such a stretch. So when you get to the end, here's what he says of his article. More generally, the fact that today's biologists cannot provide a definitive account of how every single structure or organism evolved proves nothing about design versus evolution. Well, I think it does. But then <laughs> this is what he concludes with. Um, when you get into these kind of cases and you can't figure it out, he said, in such cases, Orgel's second rule should be kept in mind. Orgel's second rule. You, you, you all know that second rule? Oh, my gosh. You guys got to catch up. I don't know what it is either. But he said, here's what it is. Don't miss this. This is Orgel's second rule. Evolution is cleverer than you are. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. It means I can't understand it, but I'm telling you, I'm sticking with evolution. doesn't make sense, but I'm sticking with it. fellow that was writing that the theory of evolution is in crisis said this, and we don't need a microscope to observe irreducible complexity. The eye, the ear, the heart are all examples of irreducible complexity. Though they are not recognized as such, though they were not recognized as such in Darwin's day, nevertheless, Darwin confessed. And I'll leave you with this part of the talk with what Darwin says. 
to suppose that the eye, with all its imitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. I agree with you. It is absurd to the highest degree. <clears throat> How much of our Bible would we have to cut out if we didn't believe in creation that God created? Um, excuse me. What's the purpose of this thievery? What was the purpose? Why, why do people buy into it? And I'm sure there's there's good, honest scientists who are trying to figure this out and are working on it. But this whole thing is based on getting rid of the creator, having no creator, no creator, no God, no God, no accountability. And um, the farther you go, it acts like we're in what the Lord said would be in the last days will be like the days of Noah. They all did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd like to read uh, this morning some scripture to you. <clears throat> Get the order that I want to do it in here. Too many papers today. Well, we'll do it this way. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. About 15 years ago, I was at a conference where there was an, a um, man speaking on this subject. And he had got his PhD <coughs> under the leading um, evolutionists of our time. He had been admitted into the program because of his scholarly background and qualifications, but the evolutionists didn't know he was a creationist. And after a while, he found out he was a creationist. And they became friends. And as I listen to this man talk about creation versus evolution, he had much res respect for the research of, of the scientists. But he said he never, he never couldn't buy it. He just couldn't buy it. And he had many talks with a fellow. In fact, uh, the fellow ended up getting cancer and dying. And uh, he prayed for him and witnessed to him. And, uh, but he never knew the results of that. But what impressed me that, that day uh, when he was talking about all this, evidences for creation and all that, he said, what I finally came to the conclusion was 
Well, he said, what I did, literally did, he said, I took my Bible, and he said, this took me a long time, took a Bible, and I cut out every verse, page, reference to creation, Adam and Eve, anything that was related back um, that would be, could specifically be talking about creation. And he said, when I got all done, he said, I had a Bible that was so cut up that it was just ridiculous. And he said, I made up my mind at that point in time as a young man. I was going to just believe God's word. I was just going to believe God's word. We don't have all the answers uh, to everything that we even observe. Creationists doesn't, and the evolution certainly doesn't. But... The scripture has a lot to say about creation. Isaiah 40, verse 21. Turn with me there, please. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them, and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these stars. That's an interesting thing. You can argue all you want about evolution on the face of the earth, and you can go back and forth and back and forth, and then you just look out there, and the Bible says that God spoke those universes into existence. So you got a little uh, something figured out about man? You don't. You haven't even started. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. He's got them numbered. He knows them. Why do you say, oh, we'll stop there. Let's go, let's go to another portion. Isaiah 42. Turn on over a couple pages. 42, verse 8. Now, here's where it starts to convict my heart. It says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. For my praise, to, or my praise to graven images, I will not give my glory to another. See, all this we've been looking at, singing these songs about, looking at these pictures of, reading about, 
And you can just go through scripture after scripture after scripture about how the, the heavens declare the glory of God. He says, I'm not giving that glory up to somebody else. I'm not going to have that stolen by Mr. Time or Mr. Chance or even some ad adaptation, which we know is, is, a, is a thing that actually happens in our, in our universe. Things in our living forms, they adapt. Not into a new species. They just adapt in their own species. But God is not going to give up the idea that he is the creator and speaks things into existence. I will not give my glory to another. Isaiah 43 6. This is talking about um, redeeming, bringing Israel back in that day. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by, na by name and whom I have created for my glory. You see, there's a lot bigger picture going on here than us little folks. The universe for his glory. 48.11. 48.11. You can exhaust yourself in the e some evenings just going through scripture. Get on the internet. Uh, get on your uh, computer and, and say verses on creation or, or those kinds of things. If you want to do a search, it, it just goes on and on and on and on. And yes, Jesus thought that Adam and Eve were real. 48.11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Hmm. I have some Bible verses on a sheet of paper. I'll just, I'll just read to you in here. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus the Lord has created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Really? John 1.3, all things come into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Romans 1.25, for the exchange of the truth of God for a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the unbeliever, but listen to this. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things, whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. What's been on my mind, and looking at this subject and thinking about it, let's go back to the scene of the laboratory with Miyuchi and Mr. Bell. And let's say that you worked in that laboratory with those men. And you saw Miyuchi's invention. And you knew it was his. And then you see Mr. Bell applying for the patent. What do you say? Do you keep quiet about it? If you keep quiet about it, are you complicit to that crime? You know it was Miyuchi's. Now comes a court case. Are you going to testify for Miyuchi? Poor Italian inventor, not known, or maybe a little more affluent person. And Mr. Bell, do you speak up or do you stay quiet about it? You understand my point? is a creator. God spoke it into existence. It is for his glory. It is not by time and chance. You would think that as something as important as creation, if it was going to be stolen and we see its splendor and, and all that it involves and entails, the wonderful creation of God, you would think that if it's going to be stolen and replaced, it would be replaced by something that is makes so much better sense than time and chance. Given enough time, anything can happen. Mutations are basically mostly harmful. This fellow says that well, you need to remember the second law of this gentleman who says um, evolution is just cleverer than you are. Well, I know what the second law of thermodynamics says, and I, I think that's a pretty well-accepted law. And it says, basically, that matter left to itself will always go toward entropy, always go toward disorder. If matter left to itself doesn't organize itself into complicated sections, pieces. You go to you go to the junkyard. It, it, it's 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 not it's things in the junkyard aren't going. Hey, I'm going to get to go to that part over there and that part over there, and by golly, pretty quick we can have an airplane. It doesn't happen that way. Airplanes have a designer. They have people that put it together. 
It just doesn't happen that way. Um, I am not a person that's well-read enough and uh, as our Greg is and studied enough in this idea of evolution and creation, but I want to tell you from a farm boy's perspective, it just doesn't make any sense. It just does not make sense. What makes sense to me is a loving, greater God who has a purpose in that. And one of his purposes in creation is to not only bring him glory, in other words, for us to praise him because of it, but for him to enjoy it. Actually, that's what um, the 31st verse of Psalm 104 says. May he enjoy and rejoice in his creation. The thought is that God could look into the depths of the sea and see complicated little things of his creation that man will never see. It'll never bring, man will never see it to say, oh, wow, God is awesome. It's just, it's something there that God has created, and he enjoys that creation. It is a reflection of his character. It's a reflection of his creativity. It's a reflector of his intelligence, of his power. Do we speak up? Do we even help make opportunities where we can speak up? We train our young people to be able to speak up. Be polite. Be respectful. But you can disagree. My granddaughter, Patty and I's granddaughter, Clara, is in the eighth grade at UPREP. And she texted her dad the other day and she said, guess what? We all got here by a big bang and the apes are our parents. Yeah. And she just, she thought that was kind of funny to send a text to her dad that something that crazy was being proposed. And then there's the rest of the story. She related. An eighth grade boy. Uh, well, it's a theory. And you weren't there. So it's a theory. It's not a fact. This evolution thing. And so you have to take it by faith. I have chosen to take by faith that there's a creator. An eighth grade boy. Agitated was the, was the description of the teacher, but that's okay. I'm a little agitated when you tell me I came from an ape when my God created me, spoke me into existence picked up that clay and dirt and made Adam and Eve. So my hope and my prayer is when we think about creation, when we, we think about the flowers in the spring and everything around us and all that is so wonderful and awesome and the, we look at them in the stars, but we, we like the, the psalmist in Psalm 104, we 
we praise God. We thank God for it. But then I also pray that we seize the opportunity whenever we can to say, "Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. And if you feel uncomfortable about doing that because maybe you think, well, I can't speak to all the issues that have creation and evolution about, and I I can't give all the arguments. Hey, listen, here's the argument. God's word says that he created. He spoke it into existence. Now, if you want to get studying and look more into it, maybe you think that you've heard so long and so many different ways that the earth is millions and billions of years old. You heard that, and it would just seem ridiculous to you if you had to say to somebody, well, I believe in a young earth. Well, I do. I believe in a young earth. Um, because the best way to interpret the scriptures in the context in which they're given and the words that are used, it would seem that there is seven days there, and six of them were used in creation. Now, now you say, well, boy, if I go spouting that off, people are going to think I'm a loony tune. Well, if you tell them that God just spoke and the stars and the universe came into existence, they're going to think you're a loony tune anyway. But he did. That's what scripture says. We need to believe it. We need to make it part of our lives. And we need to defend it. And we need to call, call up this culture of our short when we can on it. Because he is a majestic God. He says, I will not give my glory to another. And he will not give it to time and chance and gene mutation either. He won't. Food for thought this morning. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your son who came to die for us. Thank you that you have created not only us, but this universe in such a beautiful and spectacular way. Every day, every week, every month, every year, that scientists dig deeper into the, the secrets of life, depths of the atom, the DNA, all the rest, it just gets more complicated and more complex and more complex. Lord, help us to understand and to stand uh, with you in acknowledging that you're the wonderful creator. And Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Stand up for the last one, please.
Lord, the old creation, and the waters in the sky, heavens are your tabernacles, glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you're holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty, you are holy, holy. Lord, and heaven and earth, Lord, and heaven and earth. Early in the morning, I will celebrate the light, and I stumbled on the darkness. I will call your name on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy. The universe 